passed away in a car crash. They'd been in really good health the last 10 years of their life, due mainly to the wife's interest in health, food, diet, exercise, all, all that sort of stuff. And uh, when they reached the pearly gates, Peter was there, and as in all good preacher jokes, he took them on a tour of heaven. Um, and uh, the first place he took them to was their home, and they noticed this just beautiful, beautiful home, decked out with the best finishes, beautiful kitchen, master bath suite, jacuzzi, all, all of that stuff. And they just kind of oohed and odd over it. And they said, well, how much is this going to cost us? And Peter said, it's free. It, it's heaven. And so then he took them to the championship kind of uh, uh, golf course that their home backed into. And uh, the husband and the wife, she played golf too. They would have golfing privileges every day. And the course changed to a new one, one of the best golf courses uh, on earth. Every couple days it changed. And uh, the man asked, so what are the golf, what are the fees? What are the green fees? And he said, no, this, this is heaven. You play for free. And so they went to the clubhouse, and there was this lavish buffet for them and all the best foods from all around the world. And uh, the man who you might be realizing was kind of stingy said, how much to eat? And Peter kind of exasperated, said, don't you get it? It's heaven, man. It, it's, it's, it's free. And he says, well, what about the low-fat and low-cholesterol tables? And he said, no, no, there's none of that here. You can eat as much as you want, uh, how long that you want, and you never get bigger. You never get sick. There's no problems like that. And the old guy, just in a fit of anger, just throws his stuff down, stomps his feet, gets really, really upset. And his wife said, what exactly is your problem? This is great. This, this is wonderful. What is your problem? And he says, if it weren't for your brand muffins, we would have been here 10 years ago. Right? So, um, and I think, I think there's something there, right? That, that we do, we, we have a fascination uh, with the afterlife. We have a fascination with the end of this life. That as Christians, we believe that someday Jesus is going to return. And as we'll see in a few minutes, he's going to return with kind of fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to destroy death and Satan and disease and all, all hardship. And we kind of long for that day. But if you've read the book of Revelation at all, you find yourself wondering, how is this thing going to unfold? What, what is this going to look like? And the book of Revelation is kind of an odd book. Uh, I remember uh, when I was in youth ministry, a student of mine committed herself to reading a chapter of Revelation uh, every day for a little over a month. And she came to youth group the next week and said, I'm freaked out, <laughs> right? Because uh, the book of Revelation it, it is kind of a, uh, a book that can freak you out. In it, there's a beast. There's someone called the Antichrist. Uh, Jesus is depicted, as I said, as having a sword in his mouth and fire in his eyes. There's angelic armies. There's a battle against this thing called Babylon. It will keep you up at night. And one of the things that we are certain about when we read the book of Revelation, uh, as we get ready to conclude this series called Angels, is that angels play a dominant role in how this whole thing's going to unfold, how the end times are going to happen, how Jesus is going to return. They play a dominant role. So I want to give you a heads up. This sermon is going to get a little weird and then very encouraging. All right, so we're, we're, get, we're moving into the kind of weird part, all right, and I'm going to ask you to stick with me because I want to do just kind of a Bible study on angels in the book of Revelation with you. And uh, I could have, th this could have been like a, an hour and a half long thing, all right, so this is not an exhaustive list, but I want to show you in the book of Revelation what angels are doing, and I want you to kind of pay attention as we, as we study this together because I want you to see if you can identify some themes that emerge as we study angels in the book of Revelation, all right? So let's start with this, all right? In the book of Revelation, countless number of angels worship God, 
All right, so we know that in the book of Revelation, the angels are worshiping, Revelation 5.11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, right? So the angels in the book of Revelation, they have seen God. They know God. They know his glory. They know his majesty. They know his greatness. And so it should be of no surprise to us that in the book of Revelation, right, we kind of see this image of angels and they are worshiping because they've seen his glory and they worship him for his glory, right? Here's, I love this one. This is really cool to me. Uh, In the end times, at the end of all, all things, the gospel remains forever and the angels proclaim it. All right. Then I saw another angel, uh, Revelation 14, 6, another angel flying in the midst of heaven with the everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, and language, and people. All right. So we know that the gospel is, is that our sin separates us from God, and Jesus, by his death, forgives our sin and makes a way for us to know God in this life and in the next. And so as the end times kind of unfold, I'm going to be out of work because the angels are gonna become the preachers. And you've listened to me preach for 12 years. You know what great news this is, right? So I'm gonna be replaced at some point by, by an angel. And this just makes sense to me because angels understand the greatness of the message that, that, that we have received and they're going to proclaim it in the end times to every tribe, nation, and people. And I love this because we sometimes wonder, I mean, how gracious is God? Is God going to give people multiple chances to respond? And uh, I think that's a really complex question, but I find this really cool. I think the reason we wonder about will everybody have a chance to respond is because we think about guys like me. We think about human preachers. At the end of times, the angels are going to do the preaching. And they're going to take the gospel to every tribe, every people, every group. Everyone is going to hear that God loves them. Everyone is going to hear that Jesus has died for them, and the angels are going to make sure they uh, pro- proclaim it, and it's going to be a really cool thing, right? Uh, angels announce the fall of Babylon, right? In the book of Revelation, Babylon uh, is this kind of uh, central kind of hub of evil in, uh, in the book of Revelation, and it says uh, the angel in Revelation 14:8. An angel, a a second one followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her adulteries. Right? So they announce the fall of this kind of evil hub. An angel reveals the great prostitute to John. Um, This is the part of the sermon where it starts to get a little odd. All right, right. well, uh, Revelation 17. Then the angel carried me away to the spirit into the wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and 10 horns. Odd. All right. So the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hands, filled with the abominable things and filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of the earth. Worst tattoo ever. All right, so um, I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you so astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides, rides, which has seven heads and 10 horns. So there's this woman, they call her a spiritual prostitute that proclaims and does evil, right? That's what the text kind of teaches us. 
And so the question becomes, well, I would like a little more detail than that. Can you give me a little more detail? And the text goes out of its way to say, it's a mystery, right? We don't know who she is. We don't know what she does. It seems like it was revealed to John, uh, but, but uh, the rest of us were, were kind of left with this mystery. So the next point is angels overpower Satan, right? And there was a war in heaven. Uh, Michael and his angels war, waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the gr- great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil or Satan, who deceives the whole, whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. So like we know from the book of Job that one of Satan's roles is to accuse us to God, bring up our sin, bring up our shortcomings. By the blood of Jesus, we are saved, but we know that Satan is called the great accuser. And and here we see in Revelation 12 that he's just dismissed from that and he's thrown down and he is no more. And eventually in Revelation 20, he's bound. uh, The angels bind Satan. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the pit and the great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the, into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that, we, uh, so that he could not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years had been completed. And, these things he mu- and after these things, he must be released for just a short time. And then his ultimate undoing uh, comes in the book of Revelation at, at that point. And I understand these texts raise more questions than they answer. <laughs> Right, I want you to see the angelic role, though, in, in the book. And uh, we did a series on the book of Revelation. If you want to get some of those, uh, some of those CDs and all that, I'd, I'd be happy to provide those for you or manuscripts or, or, or whatever. But for now, I just want you to see the angelic, uh, the angelic role through God in, in the book of Revelation. Here's what I want you to see. Satan is called in the book of Revelation the great dragon. Babylon is called the great city. The prostitute who does evil is called the great prostitute. The Antichrist is called a great leader. But here's what I want you to see, church. None of them are great enough. At the end of the day, they are all bound. At the end of the day, they are all destroyed. At the end of the day, they are all cast out by God's angelic armies. So they are called great, but they are not great enough. God is greater. God is more powerful. God is more majestic. God will have his way at the end. So let me ask you this question. What exactly is the point of this book? As you read through the book of Revelation, what is the point of this book? What what message are the angels trying to communicate to us? And I think there's a little confusion about this. Even among scholars, biblical scholars, that some would say the point of the book of Revelation is to give us an idea of the day and the hour of Jesus' return. I remember reading a story one time about a telemarketer that called a home to try to sell some product, and he was greeted by a little boy, and the little boy was whispering. He said, hello. And the telemarketer said, can I talk to your mom? She can't come to the phone right now. He says, well, can I talk to your dad? Yeah, he's busy. He says, are there other adults in the home right now? Yes, the police. <laughs> can I speak with the police? They're busy too. What are all these people doing? They're looking for me, right? So, and I sometimes wonder if God sees us 
uh, reading the book of Revelation and says, man, they're looking up to the side. They're looking for me. And while looking for Jesus is good, Jesus himself warned us about trying to find a specific time frame for, her, for his return. Some of you might remember, if you've been in church for quite a while, some of you might remember uh, Edgar Wisenat, who wrote a book called 88 Reasons uh, Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Right? And... Did you know that he wrote a follow-up book in 1990 and another one in 1995? It's interesting that Jesus went out of his way to say that not even he knows the day or the hour of his return, but Edgar Wisenat apparently does, right? Uh, and, and has written a book about it. So I, I think this is a misuse of the book of Revelation, to, to use it to try to figure out uh, the day or, or, or the hour of, of his return. We, we don't know when he's going to return. And countless commentaries uh, have been written about it. Lots of people have speculated. The, the truth of the matter is we don't know. So some wouldn't phrase it this way, but some would say that they think the point of revelation is almost to be confusing to confuse us about the day or the hour of Jesus's return. So this is kind of the anti-theory that some say, no, Revelation was built so that we would know the day or the hour. And some say, no, it was built to confuse us so we never know uh, the, the day or the hour. That God filled this book with allegory and numerology and other images to keep us uh, guessing uh, on, on the return of Christ. Now, I might sound crazy here just for a moment, but I don't think that a book whose opening line is the revelation of Jesus Christ is intended to be confusing. <laughs> the title of the book is Revelation, right? He's trying to reveal something to us. I think we get confused because we're confused about what he's trying to reveal. I think that's why we get confused by this book, but he is trying to reveal something to us. Um, another uh, purpose of revelation that some believe is to help us identify the antichrist or to warn us against the mark of the beast. And I don't want to be flippant here, but almost every generation has had someone that they would identify as possibly the antichrist. World War II had Hitler. Uh, today we have Apple. Um, and uh, <laughs> you think I'm joking. But you can find stuff on the internet of people that believe that uh, Apple is potentially the Antichrist. And here's my problem with that. When you read the book of Revelation, the Antichrist is not exactly a picture of subtlety, right? He, he's not exactly a picture of subtlety. He deceives to be sure, but in the book of Revelation, those committed to Jesus Christ see right through him. So in the book of Revelation, in the text, he forces everyone to worship him. He kills those that don't. He forces the mark of the beast so they cannot buy or sell or trade without it. He's building a global empire. He demands to be in ultimate control. He says, I am the one to be worshipped. I am the one to be in control. I am the one in charge. And listen, you won't have to wonder as a Christian, you won't have to wonder. I really believe this. When the Antichrist uh, appears, many will be deceived. Those that love Jesus, those that are committed to Jesus, will see it for what it is, and they will be offended. Right? You think about it. If somebody came onto the global scale today and said, I demand that everyone worship me, you would hope that our faith is solid enough that that would bother us. Right? So I don't believe like, the, the Antichrist is necessarily going to just sneak onto the stage. He is not in the book of Revelation a picture of subtlety. And I just don't think it's the point of the book. I really don't for us to guess at who uh, the, the Antichrist might be. And I think to understand this book, if you'll give me a second, you know I do this every so often. I really think we have to understand history just a little bit. Uh, Roman history in, in particular. Um, in AD 70, all right, AD 70, 
um, there was a Jewish uprising against Rome. You actually see this brewing during the time of Jesus. So this was a few decades after the time of Jesus. And you see people kind of pressuring Jesus to lead a Jewish uprising against Rome. And Jesus didn't, didn't want any part of that. And so this Jewish uprising in AD 70 led to the destruction of the, of the temple. All right, the temple was destroyed. The annihilation of the city of Jerusalem. And listen, the death of nearly one million Jews from this Jewish uprising at the time, the captivity of hundreds of thousands of Jewish men, women, and children. So there was a young man that was 19 at the time of this uprising. He would later become emperor. His name was Domitian. And Domitian saw all of this unfold, and he vowed as a young man that if he ever became emperor, he would never allow a religion like Judaism or Christianity to gain power again. And he learned another valuable lesson as he watched this Jewish uprising unfold. What he learned was this. When you kill someone, you make them a martyr. When you kill someone, you make them a martyr. And so he decided he wasn't going to kill Christians anymore. Instead, he was just going to persecute them because he thought persecution would dissuade them from another uprising. So when Domitian came into power, uh, he identified John, who was one of Jesus' followers, uh, as a problem, one of the only uh, apostles left, if not the only apostle left. And he was convinced that he was not going to make a martyr out of John that John had survived. He was an old man at this point. John had, had survived. He said, I'm not going to make this guy a, a martyr. So history tells us instead what Domitian did was he had John essentially dipped into a pot of hot oil, disfiguring him, injuring him in that way. And then he, execute, or he excommunicated him to the island of Patmos where John lived the rest of his life. And it was on this island uh, that this angel appears to John. He receives this vision from God about the book of Revelation. And I want to show you the opening couple lines because what astounds me about the book of Revelation is we wonder what the point of it is. But John tells us in the first three verses what the point of it is. So I want to show this to you. And we're going to turn to the encouraging now. Now, this has been weird, all right? We're going to turn to the encouraging now, all right? John, Revelation 1, 1 through 3. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse three, blessed, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Here's what I want you to see. The purpose of Revelation is not just, it's not to reveal the Antichrist. I don't believe it is. The purpose of Revelation is not to reveal how things are going to unfold, although certainly how things are going to unfold is in the book of Revelation. That's just not the full purpose of it. Put this on the screen for you. Next slide. The purpose of Revelation is to be a blessing to Christians. So when you read this book, when you read this book of Revelation, It is intended, when John wrote it, he intended this, it is intended to be a blessing to you. So what is the blessing? Well, the message of Revelation and the message of angels in the book of Revelation is this, and here's the blessing to you. God is greater. You've been blessed. You're welcome. End of sermon. Now, God is greater. God is greater than the wicked. God is greater than the Antichrist. God is greater than Babylon. God is greater than the great prostitute. God is greater than Satan. God is greater than Domitian. God is greater. 
This is the blessing of the book of Revelation. Did you see it as we unfolded those verses again and again? The gospel is greater. God is greater. The Antichrist is great. He is not greater than. Right? God is greater than, right? Uh, the, the Antichrist, many will see him as this great global leader. God is greater than him. God will have his way. God is greater. And listen to me. I've read the book of Revelation multiple times. I preached a whole series on it. If you were here for the series, you know this is true. I don't know how this whole thing is going to unfold. If anyone tells you they know how this whole thing is going to unfold, they are selling you a book and possibly movie rights, Right? I don't know how this whole thing is going to unfold, but here's what I know. I know God knows. I know God has a plan. I know God is good, and he is stronger and better than his enemies. This is the blessing of revelation. It is that God is greater. He is greater than his enemies. He is greater than all. He is more powerful, stronger, and better. God is greater. So God, along with his angel armies, will have everything under control. And here is the shame of what we have done. We have made the book of Revelation confusing and terrifying and scary. We have done this, and it is meant to be a blessing. It is meant to be a blessing because God is great. God is good. He is more powerful. And so let me put this truth for you on the screen. So... Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I was watching the news uh, as uh, Hurricane Florence was kind of getting ready to hit landfall. I turned on the news one night, and what I was struck by, I don't watch the news a ton anymore. Because, and, and here's why. I'm not telling you you shouldn't watch the news, but I, I don't, and here's why. The constant message to me as I watch the news programming is be afraid. Be afraid of this. Be afraid of that. Be afraid of the other. Be afraid of the boogeyman. Be, be afraid of everything. Just be afraid. And the constant message of the Bible and the constant message of Jesus Christ is do not be afraid. And so I would rather spend my time receiving messages of that. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. It may be scary times. The Antichrist may be doing whatever already. The, you know, the mark of the beast, whatever. The constant message of the book of Revelation to Christians that are going to live during that period of time is don't be afraid. Why? God is greater. He's greater than the Antichrist. A lot of people are going to call him great. God is greater. <laughs> right? He's greater than the beast. He's greater than Satan. He's greater than the great prostitute. We don't know who she is. And, and God knows, and he's greater. So do not be afraid. I was uh, messaged by a friend this week. Uh, some of you may have seen it on Facebook. I really love this. Uh, the meme that the friend sent me said, the phrase, do not be afraid in the Bible, appears 365 times, one for every day of the year. It is a daily reminder to you and to I to remember to not be afraid. So to the person who just got the diagnosis, I want you to know that God is greater than your disease. To the person who is navigating life as a single parent for the first time, I want you to know that God is greater than your circumstances. To the person who is anxious and afraid and depressed, I want you to know that God is greater than your fear. To the person who is unemployed and not sure where their job's going to come from, I want you to know that God is greater than this economy. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But here's what I know. God does. 
and he is greater, and he has a plan, and he's already ahead of you. He knows the end, so do not be afraid. Trust in him. So what I want us to do this morning as we wrap up this series is, spiritually speaking, I want us to lay down our fears. Right where you're sitting, I want you to lay down your fears. I want you to lay down your anxiety. I want you to lay down your concerns. And I want you to come to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has demonstrated to you again and again and again that he's greater. So whatever you carried in here today, we all came in here carrying something, some fear, some anxiety, some concern. Right now, as I'm speaking, I'm going to pray in just a couple minutes. I want us to spiritually lay those things down and lift our eyes to Jesus Christ, who is indeed and will forever be greater greater than our disease, greater than our concern, greater than our anxiety, greater than our, uh, our lack of hope, greater than all of that. He is greater. So let's lift our eyes to him. You know what Jesus said one time? Here's what he said the key to this is. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> That's encouraging. He says, here's my promise to you. You'll have trouble. You will. You'll have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. But here's what he said. That's not a period there. It's a comma. Because here's what he said next. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. He's ahead of you. And he has overcome the world. And there is no greater demonstration of his power and strength than what we are about to celebrate together, which is communion. We're going to receive um, some bread that represents his body, some juice that represents his blood. And this is a reminder that there came a day where Jesus hung on the cross, where even his disciples were going, we thought he was greater, now we're not sure. They were filled with anxiety. They were full of fear. They were uncertain about who Jesus was. And three days later, he burst from that grave. Three days later, he burst from that grave and he demonstrated his greatness over death again and again and again. And he's been doing it ever since. So as you lay down your burdens, here, we don't just lay down our burdens, we pick up Christ. And we remember what the book of Revelation says is true. He is greater. And that is a blessing. To remember that is a blessing. It is the blessing of the book of Revelation that he is greater. So I'm going to pray. We're going to pass the emblems. You can just hold on to those. And while you're praying and while you're holding on to those emblems, you just remember this is a moment in history that demonstrated to us his greatness once again. And then I'll come back up and we'll receive them together as a church family. And we'll remember together that he is greater. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are greater. We know that Satan and death and disease and uh, someday the Antichrist and the prostitute of Babylon, we know that they like to have printed on their business card that they are great, but they are not greater than you are. And you will demonstrate your power and you will demonstrate your authority over all things. And so today... We want to remember to trust in you. To the person that's scared, we trust in you. To the person that's anxious, we trust in you. To the person uncertain about their future, 
we trust in you. To the person that's angry, we trust in you. To the person that's waiting, maybe from a, a call from a doctor or a call from a loved one, we trust in you. And over the next few minutes, we are going to lay down our fears and our anxieties, and we are going to pick up Christ because he truly is greater and he truly has a plan and it's good and he's already ahead. He knows what he's going to do. We want to trust in you. We thank you for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, making it possible for us to know you and to trust in you. Help us to do it today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.